0: Please join me in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. I'm not going to read just one verse because we're going to be looking at the life of Joash and we'll need to take this chapter as a whole, really. I'm cautious about quoting atheists, but there is a quote from Voltaire that I think is helpful when understanding the life of Joash and hopefully will be helpful, uh, helpful to us in understanding this sermon. He said this, history is filled with the sound of silken slippers going downstairs and wooden shoes coming up. It's a strange quote. What he means is that history is filled with a rising and falling of people. I'll I'll use a, a business example to better explain this. In businesses, especially family businesses, they're often forged in difficulty, and you'll have a generation of people that are wearing the wooden shoes, uncomfortable, the shoes of paupers, and they go up the stairs establishing the business. And then, maybe one or two generations later, there comes a group of people who are born into a successful business. They think this is the normal. They take off the wooden shoes and they put on the silken slippers and tumble down the stairs. This is a phenomenon that is clear all through history. Uh, there's a very, very famous example, and that is of the Persian Empire. the Persian Empire had a very, very swift rise and a very, very swift fall. And it was established by a man called Cyrus the Great, one of the most influential people in history, really. And he was a great warlord, a great politician, and by his own blood and sweat and tears, he forged the Persian Empire into the greatest empire at that time. But another king came along. He was Darius the Great. This is not the Darius that we read about in Daniel. Is a Darius that we read about in the book of Ezra. And he probably wasn't even royalty, but he was elected as the king of Persia because he was a great great administrator, and it was under his watchful eye that it grew just a little bit further to its height. Then came along Xerxes. Xerxes was a playboy. He thought that he was the ruler of the world, he was, and that he could do whatever he wanted and he decided that he would like to invade Greece. And he set in motion a series of events that led to Alexander the Great coming and all but wiping out the Persian Empire. This is a pattern that can creep into the church. It's been said, now this is broad strokes, I'll admit, it has been said that a first-generation Christian has convictions. A second generation has beliefs. A third generation Christian has opinions and the fourth generation has nothing strong leaders are a blessing to the church but not if we hide behind them not if we don't form our own convictions we run the risk of being like the children of Israel in the in the wilderness who had a very strong leader Moses and yet he went up to the Mount of Sinai for a while and while he was gone they all turned to idolatry, just quick as a flash, because their leader had been gone. Now, we live in a time where we can draw on great Christian tradition and heritage, but we we all need to ask ourselves two questions. The first is this, am I truly a Christian? Or am I just following others? And the second, if you are a Christian today, If you are born again, do I have strong biblical convictions or am I just following other people? If you can't answer the first question and say that you are a Christian, you have a borrowed Christianity, you're here because you think it's what you should do, you're here because your family thinks you should be here, then you are in grave danger of spiritual ruin. And Christians, if... If, uh, if you are here and you are here based on, on convictions of others, you're here not in another church, you're here not, um, not doing church how lots of people do church today, but you're only here because other people think you should be here, then we're in grave danger as well. Our world is hurtling away from God at a frightening speed. There are more and more situations where, as a Christian, we will have to make a stand. Where we will have to draw the line in the sand and say, no further. We cannot afford to follow the crowd. Even the reformed, Calvinistic, Baptist crowd. We can't afford to. Joash was a king who simply followed others. And it didn't turn out well for him. So I just want to look at his life under three headings. Firstly, we'll look at the influences that he followed then we will look at the consequences of this following lifestyle. And then lastly, some incre- ingredients that we need to have in our lives to afford the same fate as him. So firstly, the influences that he followed. Everything is subject to external influences. Everyone Is subject to external influences. We like to think that we are strong-willed and that we're doing our own thing, but we are being influenced. An influence is something that can affect the condition or nature of something else. Let's take, for example, a wheat plant. I'm a farmer. I can plant a grain of wheat and yet I have great influence about what is going to happen to it. There are many external influences. Of whether it will yield or whether it will fail. I can put fertilizer on. It needs water. I can remove compaction in the soil. I can influence it. People, too. Take the example of some twins. They're born and they are identical. Not always, but imagine some identical twins. And they look just the same. They have the same DNA. But as they go through life, things will happen to them that changes their appearance. They won't look identical when they're 20. They'll look similar, but one might be taller than the other. One might be thinner than the other. One might have a scar where the other one doesn't. They've been influenced. The sea, the mighty sea, it is under the influence of the moon. The moon is under the influence of the world. Everything is subject to influences. Your soul is no different. My soul is no different. When sin came into the world in Genesis chapter 3, that pure soul of Eve was influenced by Satan. People will influence us. It's a full-time job to be a social media influencer now. By the pictures that you post and the things that you do, you can influence other people. John Bunyan he speaks in, he speaks in the holy war of man's soul as having five gates, the eyes and the ears and the nose and the mouth, etc. Places where things from the outside can get in to us. We will be influenced, whether we like it or not, sometimes for good and sometimes for evil. So let nobody proudly think that you are not subject to influences. You will be shaped. Well, the first influence on Joash's life was the man Jehoiada. He's all over chapter twenty-two and chapter twenty-three and chapter twenty-four. Joash, he started his life in a very tumultuous way. His grandfather Jehoram was the king of Israel of Judah, and he married Athaliah. Athaliah was the daughter of Ahab. I'm sure you've heard of Ahab. She was a very wicked woman. While well, Jehoram he ruled and then died. And his son Amaziah reigned for a year and then died. And Amaziah, the king's mother, Athaliah, decided she would quite like to be queen. So she destroyed all the seed royal, all the babies, all the children of that royal family so that she alone could rule, or so she thought. One got away. That was Joash, the little boy we're learning about, uh, this morning, the boy who grew up to be a man, he was saved by his auntie, Jehosheba and his uncle, Jehoiada. They snuck him out and they raised him in secret for six years in the temple. Joash, as he was a little boy, he received many, many spiritual advantages. And I would like to say that everyone in this room today has received many spiritual adv- advantages. He was raised in the house of God. Look in uh, chapter 22, verse 12. He was with them, hid in the house of God six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. It is a great privilege to be in the house of God. You might not see it as such, but it is. The place where God has vowed to meet with his people, the place where he is the focus. And many of us have been brought up in families that have continually taken us to the house of God. Maybe you weren't, but you're here today. You're in the house of God, and that is a great spiritual advantage. He had been raised by Jehoiada, who was a priest. He was not only a priest, he was a real hero of the faith. He was a courageous man, he was a wise man, he was inspirational, and he was godly. When he eventually dies, we read it in chapter 24, verse 16. He's buried with the kings of Judah. He was a mighty hero of the faith. And this was Joash's father figure. We know that Joash knew the scriptures. In verse 6 of chapter 24, he's quoting Moses to Jehoiada. Joash showed many early signs of promise. He throws himself into the work of restoring the temple. He's willing to get involved in the work of the church. He showed great zeal against evil. Look in chapter 23 and verse 17. As Joash is installed as king, this is what happens. All the people went down to the house of Baal and break it down and break his altars and his images in pieces and slew Mattan, the priest of Baal, before the altars he recognized evil and he was hostile towards it he grew up knowing right from wrong parents we all hope that our children will grow up to know right from wrong don't we we will we ourselves we can see right from wrong wrong we might turn on the news and look at what is going on and be horrified by it and our children are very often so wise and they'll say what that that's clearly wrong isn't it yes they know they know but We'll see that that, being in the house of God, knowing right from wrong, knowing the scriptures, it's, it's not enough. It's not enough. While he was a young man, looking up to this great man, Joash did okay. And it was right that he allowed Jehoiada to influence him. We must be thankful for godly influences. You've been given... Uh, an intelligent and godly pastor and it is right that you glean many useful things from him we don't all need to spend the hours in study that your pastor does we can allow him to influence us that's legitimate older church members they have many, many years of experience, many years of Christian living that they need to lovingly pass on to the next generation, to influence them, and younger Christians Christians or they may reap many benefits from having a humble and teachable attitude. This is legitimate. Joash needed to sit under the influence of Jehoiada. But there's an ominous phrase. We read it in verse 2 and in verse 14 of chapter 24. Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada, the priest. In verse 14... At the end of verse 14, they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. Jehoiada was a good tutor. He tried his best to help Joash, but he couldn't change Joash's heart. In chapter chapter 23, verse 16, we read of a covenant between between Joash and the people that they should be the Lord's people. But it wasn't Joash that made the covenant. It was Jehoiada that made the covenant. All the days of Jehoiada, we may be doing okay now. We might be looking the part this morning. We might be steady in our faith today. But is there a time limit for us too? Are we reliant on somebody else to keep us on the straight and narrow children boys and girls are you only here because your parents would have you here are we only here because it's expected of us or do we actually hunger for the righteousness that we find in the bible church members i don't know if you've heard of the 8020 principle it's uh, it's uncannily accurate It's a principle that in a business, for example, 20% of the the people will make 80% of the sales. It's borne out in all aspects of life. 20% of the people in your contact book will be responsible for 80% of your texts. Perhaps in a church, 20% of the church members are responsible for 80% of the work. Could it be said that 20% of the church members of this church are responsible for 80% of the convictions? That are held. If that is the case, then it's a dangerous place to be. Who was really behind Joash's good start? It was Jehoiada. Who's behind your Christianity and who's behind mine? Joash received spiritual testing and so will we. That's a promise in the Bible. We will not be easy following Christ. In verse 15 of chapter 24, we read that Jehoiada waxed old and was full of days when he died. 130 years old was he when he died. The death of Jehoiada was a hinge point in the life of Joash, and he failed the test because he'd simply been following what Jehoiada said and what Jehoiada did instead of following the God of Jehoiada. The steadying influence on Joash's life has been removed, leaving a void that needed to be filled. As Joash had been so reliant upon his uncle for his religion, his faith, his policies and his convictions, he now needed somebody else to follow, because they hadn't been his own. Influences on our lives will wax and wane. Our family dynamics will change. Our work colleagues will change. Friendships will change. Our circles of friends, but they will influence us. Our social media streams are influencing us every time we look at them. TV programs that we choose to watch, they will influence us. There are a thousand things clamoring to shape us if we will let them. And if we are the kind of person that just follows along... (laughs) we will be shaped by them. For Joash, the fresh influence comes in verse 17. After the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. Then the king hearkened unto them, the princes, the peers. Rehoboam, an ancestor of Joash, made the same mistake. He threw out all the old men and surrounded himself with his friends, people his own age. And they led him astray. These princes, they came and we read, they made obeisance to the king. This is literally, they fell prostrate before him. They seemed harmless. They appealed to his sense of self-worth. They made him feel like a god. And then the king hearkened to them. Again, this is an old tried and trusted method. This is the method that Satan used in the Garden of Eden. Eve, if you eat that fruit, you'll be like a god. You're missing out. He appealed to her pride. And we need to beware. Sin will creep into our lives, not roaring and screaming and saying, Well, enjoy me, but I'll send you to hell. No, it seems harmless. It appeals to our sense of self worth. Error creeps into the church by appealing to our own reading of society instead of God's. By placing human reason above God's word. By prioritising human emotions and human feelings above God's revealed will. What did these princes want? Well, in verse 18, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers. They wanted to leave the ways of their fathers, and that is something that has happened time and time and time again. We don't need your old ways. Thank you very much, old boys. No, we've got a new way. I'm not against being relevant and being modern, but so many people just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say the older generation haven't got a clue what they're talking about. It's a temptation we will all come under. And they wanted to return to sensual, fleshly worship. They served groves and idols. You can just imagine these princes coming to Joash and saying, well, King, Jehoiada's really been a restriction on your life. He was so square. Really, we can can branch out. You're missing out on so much. And they ended up worshipping Baal because it appealed to their flesh all manner of wickedness was permitted and encouraged in the worship of Baal, that Joash and his friends, they, they desired that. Joash bent once again to the strongest influence in his life, only this time it was an influence for evil. It wasn't difficult for these princes to convince Joash, because his heart did not belong to God. His heart was still dominated by sin, and even though restrictions had been placed on him, once those restrictions had been lifted by Jehoiada's death, it was easy for them to lead him astray, because it's what his heart wanted. And my friends, if you are only here because you're trying to fit into a box, but your heart is still unregenerate, your heart doesn't belong to God, it will be easy for you to be led astray. Can I ask you, why are you here why are you here specifically in this place today we all know people who have chosen not to be in a place of worship today they seem to be getting on okay why are you here is it just to tick the box to conform or is it because you hunger for what we find in God's word Christians why are you still in this church Many people would say, this is an old-fashioned church. Why are you here? We all know people that have abandoned this hymn book, abandoned God's word, abandoned the old ways of doing worship. Why are we still here? Is it because we're just following somebody else? We're respectful of our parents or our grandparents and we're here to to honour them? Or is it because deep down we are convicted that this is the right way? We need to have those convictions or we may be led astray. Well, let's look at the consequences of just following others then. The first consequence is found in verse 18. The, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. If we just follow others and we follow them into sin, we will come under the wrath of God. How terrible this thought is. Because Joash followed this foolish advice, the whole of Judah and Jerusalem came under the wrath of God. And perhaps Joash put this down to chance. Perhaps because everyone around him was suffering this judgment, he he didn't really think it was so severe. He didn't identify that the problem was him. As As a king, he was judged with those around him. As a human being, he and you and I We won't stand with others. We will not be able to blame anyone else for leading us astray. We won't be able to point to those that we have followed. It will be us on our own, before God. The wrath of God for following others into sin. It's a very severe and serious consequence, isn't it? The second consequence that he had for just being a follower and not knowing his own mind was a hardened conscience. Joash was given many opportunities to repent and return to God. So have you, and so have I. God in his mercy, in verse 19, sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord, and they testified against them but they would not give ear. Their message was clear, these prophets, they testified against them, They exposed Joash's sin. They exposed the error of his ways. They testified against him. And secondly, they presented the chance to be restored to God, to bring them again unto the Lord. This is the same message any preacher worth his salt will bring here time and time and time again. Testify against sin and present the opportunity to be brought back to God. And yet, Joash and his cronies... They ignored it. Maybe if Joash had been isolated from his peers, the message may have got through. But in verse 19, we just read they and them. He sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord. uh, But they would not give ear. Joash just blended into the crowd. He hid in the safety of his group. I remember as a schoolboy, a group detention wasn't half as bad as one when you're on your own. We feel safety in numbers. And his conscience was hardened because he, instead of listening to these things and applying them to his own soul, where he was listening for other people, he was just fitting in with the crowd. Joash knew the truth. And yet when he was surrounded by these other people, Who were able to sin and get away with it, it seemed. To forget their God and get away with it. He hardened his conscience and he would not listen. This shows the state of Joash's heart. This shows us that he was not a child of God. A child of God, when they are reproved, they will humble themselves. Think about David. David fell into great sin. And yet, when it was exposed, when Nathan came and testified against him, David broke down. He repented. And child of God, if, if, you have been gone ast- if, if you've been led astray, then you must repent. And there was grace poured out to David. His great sin was used to build the temple. The product of that was Solomon. God can turn it round. It's what he does. But we must accept his, uh, his reproof. The third consequence of just being a follower is that we'll go further than we ever dreamt possible. Joash here, he got in far deeper than intended. In verse 20, we read that Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, which stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith God. Zechariah came and testified against Joash, the son of Jehoiada. This was... His cousin, but this was closer to his own brother. This was a little boy that he was probably raised with, now grown up to be a man. And he comes and he testifies against Joash. He warns him he's going astray and that there will be consequences. He was a reminder of days gone by. Perhaps as Joash looked in Zechariah's eyes, he could see the eyes of his old uncle Jehoiada staring back at him appealing to him to turn from his wickedness to turn back to God surely he'd recall the standards of his youth the standards of this godly old man surely he'd remember what his his uncle had tried to implant in him you'd think so wouldn't you but no because Joash was a follower he was a spineless human being He was able to cold-heartedly order the brutal murder of his own cousin. They stoned him. What's more, they stoned him in the court of the house of the Lord, in his old home. How could he do this? How could he get in so deep? He was following others. And if we follow others, we will go deeper than we ever intended. He betrayed his family. He betrayed his heritage. He betrayed his God because he allowed other people to think for him. In verse 24 and verse 25, we, we see the tragic end of his life. A small company of Syrians come and destroy a host of Israel. It's usually the other way around, isn't it? A great host of Syrians? No, a small host. Because this was God who was at work judging this, this young man. Oh, sorry, he's 40 at this point, not a young man. What a tragedy his life turned out to be. But Joash's end need not be our end. So, what are some ingredients that we can employ, that we can ask God to pour into our lives? To avoid this sort of hypocrisy, there is a saying in this world that we should fake it until we make it. If we fake it, we won't make it. This is what the devil wants us to believe. Keep coming to church. Dress right. Smile right. Stay in with the right people. Perhaps marry a churchgoer and you'll be a OK. The Bible says urgently, you must be born again. This is the first non-negotiable ingredient for avoiding hypocrisy, for avoiding this sort of life that Joash had. Joash started out well, but he was always susceptible to falling away because his heart had not been changed. He had no relationship with God. He needed a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so do you. And so do I. If we don't, we have got nothing. Nothing so we need to be born again we also need to be standing on God's Word God's Word alone the foundation of the Reformation was sola scriptura upon that all of the other four points stood but it was Scripture first God's Word alone now my brothers and sisters in Christ if we take our convictions from God's Word we don't stray from God's word we will be able to stand firm as soon as we get away from God's word and as soon as we're imitating other people parroting other people we're at risk i was speaking to somebody just last week a christian i believe but he's in great danger because he says trouble is i can't get genesis 1 to 11 to work with my view of god and with my understanding He's in great danger because he's straying from God's word. God's word is the only thing that we can trust. The only thing that we can build on. We can see the evidence of that in our post-truth society. No truth, no God's word. We've got nothing. We've got no fixed point. We can see people are committing dreadful sins and nobody can speak against them. The politicians have no answer because they don't have God's word. If we are just animals, why can't we kill each other? Why can't we do whatever we want? There's no answer as soon as you get away from the Bible. We need to get in the Bible. If we are not fixed upon God's word, we will be like ships tossed around in a storm. My friend, my Christian friend, cast your anchor deep into God's word. Read it. Let it shape you. Bend to its instruction. We say that we believe this book is sufficient. Do we act like it? Whenever we find ourselves in any sort of situation, any conundrum, any fork in the road, the Bible does have the answer if we will look. We don't need to trust our own opinion. We cannot trust the opinions of others. We need to go to God's word. The Bible has it covered. Joash Forgot what he knew. He trusted the princes. He didn't consider God's word. It would have warned him. It would have warned him that if he'd strayed, judgment would come. It would have encouraged him to carry on serving God and yet he didn't. We need to stand on this book. We need to pray that God will drive nails through our feet and through this book and into the floor. So that we'd never ever depart from this book. So we need to stand on God's word. We need to be people of prayer. We can know our Bible inside out, but if we don't pray, then we will be led astray. There's no mention of prayer in Joash's life. I went back through the kings from David. We know that David prayed. Solomon is recorded to have prayed. Rehoboam, although he wasn't perfect, he was recorded to have prayed. Abijah, No mention of prayer, but he most definitely acknowledged God as sovereign over himself and all the people of Israel. Asa, man of prayer. Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, man of prayer. Joash, no record. House of God, yes, he, he knew the house of God. The word of God, he knew the word of God. He didn't pray. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41 says this, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to be people of prayer. And fourthly, we can afford to imitate, as long as we're imitating Christ. We do not necessarily have to disregard everything that has come out of a man's mouth. Remember, Joash needed the counsel of Jehoiada, and we should rightly stand on the shoulders of great and godly men who have gone before us. But even the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian that ever lived, even he charges the Corinthian church, Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. Jesus Christ is the gold standard. Even Jehoiada wasn't perfect. You may have noticed, or you may have glossed over it. In verse 3, Jehoiada took for him two wives. Jehoiada might have been godly, but he wasn't perfect. We need to not follow people not follow men we need to follow Christ he is the gold standard he is the one that we should imitate without question in fact he's the only one to whom we should fully align ourselves because he's the only one who can stand with us through this life and on the judgment day he can stand with us between us and God So that he takes on God's wrath for our sin and we are welcomed in as obedient children. Jehoiada couldn't be with Joash when Joash stood before God. I can't be with you and you can't be with me. But Christ will stand with any who come to him and become followers of him. And that's where I'd like to conclude by urging you all to flee to the feet of Jesus Christ. There we will find forgiveness, there we will find life, there we will find wisdom and the power of his spirit to conquer our sin and to be the director of our lives and cause us to follow him and him alone. Amen.